Blog Talk Radio. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Chronicles of Autism. It's a brand new month, and it is very special to me. Now, it is all about autism awareness on this channel, and we're going to be celebrating and talking about autism. As if some of you don't know, this month holds a very special place in my heart because Five years ago, I was diagnosed with autism, and it was a rough road for me to overcome, and because of it, I'm a stronger person today, and I'm here with you guys talking about it. Our first guest for tonight is a very special woman that I work with on another show called Embracing Autism with Dr. April. Her name is Dr. April, excuse me, (laughs) I'm a little excited, her name is Dr. April Litson. Now, Dr. April J. Litson is an autism co-strategist and empowerment career-oriented autism moms going from feeling mentally overwhelmed and financially helpless to teaching them how to leverage their economic power in order to create a sustainable lifestyle for their autistic child long after they are gone. She has authored three books, Stretch Thin, Finding Balance Working and Parenting Children with Special Needs, Autism in April, A Mother's Journey During the Tween Years, and most recently, and we did an episode on this, Unmasking the Trauma, School Bullying, and Children with Special Needs. She aspires to be an influencer in her community. Recently, we wrapped up an episode this Monday on embracing autism, and it was great. Tonight, you're going to be hearing all about her, her children and what she is doing to help children with autism. Everybody, please welcome Dr. April. Yes. Hey, Doc. Hey, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me on the air. I'm excited to be on your show today. It's an honor, sis. Hey, welcome welcome to my place. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I'm so happy to have you on. Yay. So, Doc, how does it feel coming on the Chronicles with me? Well, we haven't started the questions yet, but how does it feel for you to be my guest? You know what? It's it's a breather not being the host and having to think about what questions to ask the guests and, you know, making sure everything runs smoothly. So tonight a weight is really lifted off of my shoulder that I am the guest and not the host tonight, so I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Oh, well, it's a pleasure to have that weight lifted off of your shoulders. You can just sit back and I can do the talking because that's all I do on here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Okay, Doc, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you began to be an advocate for autism? Absolutely. So um, by trade, professionally, I am a licensed public education K-12 school psychologist. I have worked for almost 20 years with children and families with a variety of disabilities from ages 3 to 21. So that's kind of sort of the foundation of who I am as a person. But in that, I am the mom of three beautiful children, one of whom my oldest son has a diagnosis of what used to be called Asperger's disorder, but it's Mm -hmm. on the autism spectrum. And so for me, a lot of this journey initially started with – just my role as a social justice advocate, as a school psychologist, but then that advocacy took a turn because then it became my life. And so from there, because of, you know, the years of experience that I've had as a school psychologist, I knew how to best advocate for him in that role. But when it came to being that mom of a child with autism, that's when the water started to get a little bit muddy. And so Mm. that part has been a journey for me. Mm Mm-hmm. What was one of the things that you had to overcome with being the mom of an autistic child? Whoo, child schedules. Baby, let me tell you. I am a type A personality person, very organized, very, um, I wouldn't even call it scripted, but I like things to be planned out. So for me, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting because a lot of people on the spectrum have inflexible thinking. But mm-hmm. I, I, but I really struggle with chaos because I can't function that way. 
And so for my son, he's very disorganized because, you know, his mind is always thinking about what to do next. How can I better do this? But he never seems to ever get anything completed. And so for me, there was a point in time where I thought it was just him just being lazy, him just being defiant, and I just couldn't handle it. I really could not Mm -hmm. handle it because I didn't know how to fix it. And when you're used to being the fixer of things and, you know, creating space for other people, but you can't do it in your own home, that literally started to drive me bonkers. (laughs) So that has been a very interesting journey for me, you know, once again, as I said before, learning how to be flexible in an inflexible world. How has that worked out for you? Are you... Learning to be Good. flexible, still learning. I'm a work in progress, okay? <laughs> I'll be honest okay. with you. Some days, some days are better than other days. And what I mean by that is that if it's a process that we've gone through over and over again, I know how to pick my battles. But if it's something that's right. brand new and it's something that we have not worked through together on this journey, then I do see myself getting a little bit extra riled up because it's like, okay, we can't be doing this this way. We have to get it done this way. If we don't do it this way, then it'll all fail. And he is, by personality-wise anyway, with or without autism, he's just that laid-back kind of chill kind of kid who walks slow. Um, I won't say he really talks slow, but he can talk slow. But, I mean, he's just that chill kid. And I'm that, no, we we are on the rat race. we got to get it done. No, 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 no. So when those events happen, girl, look, when those events happen, yeah, that's when it seems mm-hmm. like it's World War Three. But, you know, as we continue to learn about each other and, you know, how each new challenge helps to stretch us for the better and not for the worse, then we grow through each process. And so I think that's the big thing. We're, we're learning how to grow through the process of being flexibly and flexible. <laughs> Mm. I got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I can, I can, I can vouch. I can vouch for you on that. Well, considering back in the day, I used to be very inflexible, but I grew through it. But you sound like you got a couple of years left on you. Yeah, <laughs> I sure do. Say like couple of years. <laughs> like, um. What is something that you have learned being a parent to an autistic child? Um, What is something that your child has taught you that you didn't know about until now? You know what? It's the power, and it's, it's, it's almost like an oxymoron, that it's okay to be imperfect, you know, it is okay mm-hmm. to be imperfect. It's okay not to have everything. And, and, and like I said, it's an oxymoron because a lot of times I know you don't you don't like when I say perseveration, but a lot of times people are this on the spectrum are very fixated on what they're passionate about, and so trying yeah. to get them to shift their mindsets is hard. And but with him, it's just one of those things where. I have learned that it's okay to be imperfect. And although he hates being wrong, he's learned to work through being imperfect. And watching him every single day go through that process of, you know, being real frustrated, like, oh, my gosh, I didn't get it right the first time, to going through a process where it's like, you know what, it's okay I didn't get it right this time. I can continue to work on it. It's astounding to me because, as I tell people, I'm a high achiever. So I'm one of those Mm -hmm. people – that if I set my mind to something, I'm like a pit bull in a skirt. I, I lock jaws on it until it happens, until it gets done. And on this awesome journey, that's not reality. So I feel like I'm warring against who I am as a high achiever while be, raising a child with autism. And so I've literally learned how to, I wouldn't even call it create balance. I've had to move from the balancing act to creating harmony that you can still be a high achiever while still being imperfect, and it's okay. It's okay mm-hmm. to have flaws. It's okay to make mistakes, but just don't get stuck in it. And that's the greatest thing with autism. Autism, I call it autism just in general because it's not only my son, but just, you know, now that I'm embracing and actually walking through the autism um, community with other families and, you know, with his mentor, who I just love, who's on the spectrum just like him, oh, my gosh, I cannot tell you how much I've learned between just watching the two of them interact. But it has really created this space for me where it's like I can breathe 
And by me being able to breathe, it gives him the freedom to breathe, and now we can talk, something we couldn't do before, you know. And so Mm -hmm. that's one of the great things that I've learned, that it's okay to be imperfect. Just don't get stuck in it and learn how Mm -hmm. to breathe. It's okay to breathe. Flaws and all, it's okay to breathe. When was your son diagnosed? Ooh, okay. See, now what had happened was it all depends on how you use the word diagnose. And what are, and what I mean by that is because I was a school psychologist, mm-hmm. um, did preschool, did early intervention, I never saw autism for my son. What I saw for my son was a child who had communication delays because on both sides of the family we had a history of language disorders. I saw mm-hmm. a child who did not meet your checkoff list for autism. So for me, autism was not even a consideration. I thought about hearing impairment, possibly him being deaf, him having sensory processing disorder, but autism was off the table. The first Mm -hmm. time the word autism was mentioned to me was when he was about two and a half years old and I went to take him to early intervention. And as we were working with him, he was doing everything he needed to do and then the um, the specialist was like, he would do some swabbing of him, but I didn't know any adverse responses to it. And so he was like, do you think your son may be on the spectrum? I said, what spectrum, sir? He said, do you think he may be autistic? I said, nope, never thought about it. And I walked out because I, I as mom, couldn't see my firstborn child being on the spectrum mm. because he didn't meet the hallmark. So as so years you got passed, defensive. I did. And as years passed, um, you know, and I started to pinpoint, like, certain shifts. Once again, autism still wasn't there, but it was when he was four years old and he was already in early interventions for, like, two years. I'll never forget the day that I was sitting across from the teacher because, once again, you have these school psychologists who make these educational diagnoses, you know, hearing a special education teacher saying, have you, she was like, I don't know how to say it. And I said, let me guess, you believe he's on the spectrum. And she was, she went from pale white to like being able to breathe again. She's like, oh my gosh. I said, yes, I heard it two years ago. So by the time he turned five, that's when we got the educational diagnosis of autism. And so that's why I, 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 you know, prefaced the word diagnosis because I still was not willing to accept that my child was on the spectrum. I could deal with the mm-hmm. educational diagnosis because, as I said before, I would do those things. And more times than not, you know, the kids, they would look like they were autistic very young, but as it got older and it had special ed support, then they, were, they weren't diagnosed as autistic anymore. So that's how I had hoped our storyline would have been. But he was clinically diagnosed at age 10, and it was then that I realized, oh, my gosh, that my son is truly on the spectrum. Mm. So for me, I heard it. I accepted the educational, but from the educational of age 5 to age 10, when he was clinically diagnosed, I still didn't believe that he was on the spectrum because the mom in me couldn't see that, even if the school psychologist could see it. Because I I was like, you're talking about my baby, not someone else's child. And so that's the worst difference. So I could not see it because I had too much expertise, knowledge, book theory, um, you know, working with different children that he, I'm telling you, he doesn't look, it seems, for me personally, it seems like he's older. Mm -hmm. He looks more like he's on the spectrum than when he was younger. (laughs) So, and, and that could be because now I'm willing to see it, now I'm willing to embrace it. Yeah. After he was after he was diagnosed, how did you explain to him that he had autism? Chandler, that's another mm-hmm. conversation for another day. Because here's the thing, and this is one of the things that I really want to stress to your listening audience is this: how you, as a parent, accept and acknowledge your child's diagnosis then in Mm -hmm. turn impacts how they will receive their diagnosis. So at age 10, I I was explaining to him what autism was all about, what it meant, tried to, you know, kind of sort of like connect all the different things that had been going on with him and explain to him that autism is some of the reasons why those things was happening. He did not want to hear it. He did not believe that he was autistic. That's a typical emotion, typical emotion with people with autism, yes. 
Yep, he was like, no, I'm not autistic. You're just making this stuff up. I have, you know, this is mm-hmm. nothing related to me. It was not until last school year. Was it last school Last school year was when he started to think through the idea that he potentially had autism, and that's because he had a really phenomenal autism resource teacher who made it okay and cool for him to be on the spectrum. But even at the beginning of this school year, we went through that battle that, you know, um, maybe I don't think I'm autistic because I don't look autistic like the kids, kind of sort of like me. I don't look like the kids who have autism, you know, because for him, his basic, his his greatest struggle is more so in that social communication. You know, that's what yeah. he really struggles with, the social cues. But that's it. Everything else is like your typical teen. And so when he engages with other individuals who are on the spectrum, to him they seem more severe than he is. So he could not see and embrace the idea that he was autistic. And so it was not until I think, not even I think probably – because he started school in August, maybe around October, he once again has another phenomenal special education teacher, but also because he has a mentor, as I said before earlier, that's on the spectrum, that doesn't look like he's on the spectrum, that's doing amazing things, that he realized, oh, my gosh, I found someone who looks like me and he sounds like me. I guess this is me. (laughs) So really, his embracing (laughs) autism didn't start until maybe October, November of, of 2018. And once again, that's because that was around a time where I was okay with it. It was like I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try to change who you are. We're going to work on these behaviors mm-hmm. because the reality is I'm not going to be with you always. So you're going to have to be able to function in society. But we no longer see autism as an inability or something that's negative. We see it as your superpower. You know, these are all yes. the things that make yes. you so great and so inspiring because you are autistic. These are things that you can do with your superpower of autism that I cannot do as a person without autism. But here's your kryptonite. These are some of the things that if we don't work through and teach you the strategies, this can actually render you powerless and take away some of those superpowers that you have. So when we started utilizing that language at home, that's when it was like, yes, I can be autistic and it's cool. Here are my superpowers, but I know if I get to the point where I'm doing this, then it takes my superpower away from me. And so since we've been doing the mm-hmm. superpowers, that works too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And how old is your son now? He is 13. He is 13, yeah. So we've been on this journey for almost, yeah, about 10 and a half years. 10 and a half, yeah. 10 and a half, almost 11 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is he doing today? You know what, look, I'm I'm talking like we good girlfriends, but look, I'm telling you, this year, because last year was a very trying year for him with school bullying and, you know, things of that nature, things I didn't know that people with autism went through, (laughs) I learned last year. But one of the things that I have also learned about people with higher functioning autism is that relationships and the right relationships matter. Putting them oh. in the right environment with the right people can not only shift their actions, but their attitudes, their behaviors, and how they engage with other people. And so we did that this year. Could not send him back to his previous school. And I will tell you, initially he was reluctant because all he wanted to see was his old friend, what, what was old. He was struggling to let go of that routine. But now that he has this new routine, has new sets of friends, has the same girlfriend for the entire year, I'm like, yes, he didn't ditch her after the first nine weeks of school. Yes. So he's still with her. Um, <laughs> you go, look, that was a struggle because the, the other girlfriend didn't follow the rules. This one, she follows the rules. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. So that's been a long day. Um, but he's, he's, oh. his grades are doing well. Um, you know, he's found typical peers that he loves. Um, he was, which is, which is something that's very rare, but out of, uh, I think it was maybe between 20, uh, up to 20 to 25, um, applicants district wide, I mean, spots available for JROTC. He was one of the people to get, get accepted into JROTC, which, you know, first of all, is very hard because you have to, you know, 
meet the criteria, but to have a child with an autistic child to participate in JROTC is outstanding. Um, but that's because, you know, people know, like, and trust him. Uh, one of the things that I learned today when we were having a meeting about him, aside from all of the positive praise, I'm like, thank you. I'm so thankful that he's made this growth, is that I initially thought that he had, um, you know, someone had recommended him to work with students with um, severe cognitive delays, but that wasn't the case. I actually learned today that my son advocated for himself to put himself in the room to support those students. And what I mean by that is that, you know, he was he went with another educator, and she was basically running an errand, and he asked her, what do you do with these kids there? Because they're, they're not in his, his group. And so to make a long story short, she told him what she did with them, and she, he was like, how can I be a part of this? I'm like, what? She was like, yes, he, he initiated the conversation to be a peer mentor to children with cognitive, um, significant cognitive delays. And so today, you know, even the case, even the, 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 the self-contained teacher is amazed as to how well he's taken his role, but more importantly, how well he's engaging these students. You know, like, for example, one day, you know, that that, that specific teacher had told her that she had asked her, what was he doing? And he was like, I'm talking. But 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 the issue with this particular child he was talking to, the child is nonverbal. But even in that, Jarrell was still making a friend, teaching this child how to make, how to be a friend, even if even if you don't, even if you can't talk back to me. And I was like, oh my gosh! So he really is paying attention when I don't think he's paying attention, you know. But that just shows me, you know, that he has a servant heart. You know, he is a good kid. But when you but you have to put him. And like I said, other people on the spectrum in the right environment with the right people if you really want to see them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm going to bring the conversation to a topic that we did in February, I believe. It was on amassing the trauma. Now, y'all, this episode that we did every Monday when we would talk about what these kids were going through and the parents, that would come on to the show, it would get me very hot because the doc, the, the, doc, the doc knows I don't tolerate bullying, especially with my people, with, yes. with the autistic community. I don't play that. So why don't you tell us, why don't you tell my audience what that was about? Tell us about the book and the special. Absolutely. So, um, this particular book was very challenging for me to write because it was birthed out of my own pain with my son, my my autistic child. And so, um, you know, school bullying is common, and I hate to say that, but honestly it's common. I was bullied in school. But it's one thing when it happens to you and when it happens to your child. And yeah. so to make a long story short, um, it's very difficult for I don't even know if it's difficult, but I think sometimes it's just hard for people who are not familiar with the autistic community to understand that bullying does happen to people with autism. And what I mean by that is that more times than not, adults who are doing this invest- these kinds of investigation always believe that, for the most part, that the reason why that child with autism may have thought this was bullying was because, once again, autistic people struggle with reading people's social Social cues. Exactly. So maybe you misperceived that this was bullying when, in fact, this wasn't bullying. And so that's kind of sort of where our storyline started, but it didn't end there. For our family and something that I learned, it then led down a very dark path where my son was very um, suicidal to the point where Mm -hmm. we had law enforcement at our home as well as to the point where he had to be hospitalized and removed from the home for a period of time. Um, And so that's kind of sort of how that book came about. Initially it wasn't even going to be a book. It was supposed to be a parent guide to help parents of children with special needs, um, you know, handle school bullying and how to navigate the educational system. But when 
I realized that I couldn't finish writing the pamphlet or the guidebook myself, I was like, maybe this is supposed to be a book. And so I reached out to, um, you know, several people, put a call to action, and that's kind of sort of how I got those um those individuals, and I will tell you, you know, just just thinking even through the process, to this date, I still have not read any of the chapters. I've skimmed them, but I haven't really read them because just like you, it really um, gets my blood boiling, you know what I mean? Because it's like I cannot mm-hmm. believe, you know, that so many kids, especially children, um, you know, who are on the spectrum are bullied so frequently and yet and still there aren't any resources to help them. There aren't any um, adequate school resources, and I can say that as an educator because I see it. There aren't sufficient, um, you know, supports and services in place in school to deal with a child with autism who may be experiencing um, high levels of anxiety or depression or who may be highly suicidal, which, like I said, I did not realize that that was common in individuals with autism, especially those with Asperger's, um, the old Asperger's. Um, But I learned that through my son. And what I also learned (laughs) is there aren't, as far as like our national organizations and things of that nature, there, there isn't solid information to basically hand to parents when things like this, when these crisis moments happen. So for our particular situation, I was bounced around from so many different agencies or agencies who never even responded back to me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, here I am in crisis mode, and the people who I assume in these national organizations should be able to provide me with the data. And I did email, I did phone calls. They never contacted me except for one person whom I spoke with. And it was, I, I can tell you, it was divine. <laughs> Enter, it was divinely inspired because she, too, had a child with autism. And she worked for a suicide, one of the su- um, suicide organizations. And she would like, she basically told me, she was like, you know, I can't tell you this as an organizational person, but as a mom of a child with high-functioning autism, she was like, There's, there aren't any resources for us. She was like, there aren't any resources. When our kids go through this issue, we do not have any type of organizations that have the necessary resources to help our families and our kids be successful in comparison to other mental health kinds of things. And that crushed me because I'm like, with the rise of autism, one would assume that people are constantly doing the research and getting the resources together to help these families out, and that's not true. So that was Mm -hmm. depressing. (laughs) That was very depressing for me. But like I said, it was a learning process, you know. So that's why, you know, my goal is to, you know, support as many families as possible through the book and, you know, whatever else so that they don't have to go. So they, I won't say that they won't experience it because I never thought I would experience it, but something shifted in the environment and it happened. Um, But I want them to know that, when they do hit those roadblocks, just know that it has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with their child. It's just where we are as far as a society. We still do not put our money where our mouth is when it comes to developmental disabilities like autism. We just don't. Uh, hmm. All right. Uh. Just, I'm just taking this all in. Oh, after writing the book and having it published, did you have people contacting you to tell you what they learned from it? You know, honestly, I will tell you, um, aside from people who I know, one of, and I was surprised by this, the first person that really touched my heart about this book was a six-year-old little boy out of Maryland. He wanted to interview me because he is, um, he's a little entrepreneur, <laughs> and I love him dearly. His name is Kavanaugh. And, but his advocacy is because one of his friends, uh, family friends, actually committed suicide. And so he is on this mission to to spread awareness as to how bullying, specifically school bullying, not only impacts the family, you know, the intermediate family of the child, but also those around them. And so he, his mom literally sent me an email and said, hey, I saw your post about your book, and my son wants to interview you. And that 
just melted my heart because here I am thinking, you know, I'm trying to get this out to the adults, but where it really needs to head out is the kids. Kids really, I hate to say, kids are the best marketers and the best advertisers (laughs) when it comes to things that they're passionate about. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. bullying and bullying should not be a passion of kids. Does it make sense? But now that that's become a part of their world and a part of their environment, to see a six-year-old child just saying, look, I need to interview you, I want to interview you, even I gave them a copy of the book, and their family actually went to another state of another mom whose child, um, you know, I want to say last year committed suicide because of school bullying, and they literally gave the family the, the signed copy of my book. And I was like, oh, my God, shut the front door. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> you know, cause, because so it's almost like that gift wow. that keeps on giving, you know. And so people kept telling me, thank you so much for doing this, because first of all, they never thought that it could happen to me. Because once again, you have the educator who is a school psychologist who knows all the ins and outs, but yet it still it even happened to your family. It even happened to your child. And, you know, even when I think about people who are like, school bullying that happened to your child? He's such a good kid. I'm like, bullying knows no color. It knows no age. It knows no appropriate behaviors. When it happens, it happens. And we just have to make sure that, you know, parents have the necessary resources to help them succeed, which was, you know, once again, another reason why I wrote this book, so that parents understand, you know, that they, you do have some rights, but also realize that you're not the only family that's going through it, and here's a resource that can help you to to get over that hurt, that hurting point. So, yeah. What is something that, what is the piece of advice that you give to mothers in the autism community? Breathe. Breathe. <laughs> and I know, I know, it seems like it's something very simple, but it's not. It's not because the art of breathing forces you to take time for yourself, which for an autism mom is hard because we are always on high alert. We are always, as I tell people, we don't sleep. Um, it's almost like we have post-traumatic stress disorder, like people, like soldiers coming back from war. That's how our journeys can be depending on the level of severity of your child and the type of behavior outburst that they may exhibit from one time or or another. So I tell my moms to breathe that it's okay. It's, It's okay if it doesn't work today. You just make sure that you continue to be present. But in being present ensure that you're taking care of yourself. You know, create time. Like, I, And I love my son dearly, but there are times when I literally have to say, I need you to go. And it's not to be mean, but it's the only way that I can be centered and grounded for myself so that I can be centered and grounded for him and, and be stable because that's one of the things that I've learned about people on the spectrum because they have so much instability in their lives with people and the world and the environment and just trying to process all this stuff it feels like they're on a tightrope trying to balance the stick and the birds and everything in between that they can't afford for their moms, you know, to be all hyped up, you know, at 85, you know, ready to go kaboom. They just can't. So that's why I've learned and I continue to tell them, just breathe. I know it's a simple word, but you have to breathe. You have to take time for yourself. You have to say positive words of affirmations to yourself every single day because, There is no fix for autism. There is no, um, and what I mean by that, you don't, because you don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next, just because it worked on Monday doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work on Wednesday. And so you have to ensure that you have your best energy level up so that if that's one of those Wednesday days and it's going to be a rough meltdown day, that you yourself can remain grounded and be able to breathe through that process so that your child has stability when they finally come out of the meltdown. So that's the biggest thing for me that I always have learn to breathe, speak words of positive affirmations over yourself, and make sure that you are taking care of yourself because you can't support your child if you're running on fumes. It's not going to work. I know that's right. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, 
why don't you tell the why don't you tell the audience about our show, Embracing Autism? Yes, so Embracing Autism with Dr. April. Honestly, although the show has the title of Autism in it, it can be you, anyone can find value in the show. Any anyone who has a child with or without a disability can benefit from it because we talk about a variety of talk, topics. We talk about you know finding value in therapy or life coaching or getting a coach. We talk about you know finding value in eating healthy and exercising and living your best life ever. You know we talk about you know love and relationships and and understanding how relationships can impact and influence how your child with a disability may respond to you or respond to other people. You know, what I love most about the show, aside from having you as my co-host, is that it's not scripted. People are very authentic, mm-hmm. you know, when they come to the show. And that's what I love about the show. I want people to be themselves. I don't want them to, you know, come across in a nice, neat package because people, people can hear that all over the radio. You know what I mean? And so I want them to be as bold and as honest. We've had a couple of people curse, and I'm like, look, that's our show. That's how we, that's how we roll. Because that's who you are. That's where, That's how you're feeling it at that moment. And you want your audience, and, you know, we, we, we are very cognizant about the words that we use, but we still want our listening audience to feel the pain that people are going through while also hearing the success part of it. You know, because one of the things that I've learned as an autism mom, there's no success without the pain, and there's no pain without success. So Girl, it's, it's all like a revolving circle. It's a revolving breathe. circle. Yes, and so you have to you have to be okay with it. And so that's why I didn't want to have, you know, one of those things where everything was scripted. First of all, because that's not me. I always shoot from the hip. And I know a lot of people, they like everything neat and in the package. But when people really want to hear you, they want to hear the whole you and not half of you based on what it sounds like on your website or what it sounds like in your last speech. No, when you come to my show, I want you to let it all hang out. And by the time you're done... I want you to say, you know what, that's the best interview ever. And every person that has ever been on our show since we started last year has said the same thing. You really made me feel good doing this show. Thank you so much for having me on the air. So I know that we're doing our job. I know that we're doing our mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And what's the feeling? Do you get a sense of enjoyment every time after you end our show? Look, I, I look. I'm going to have to cut off our show and make it a 15-minute show because it interferes with my bedtime. <laughs> I'm telling you. But I'm, I'm always so hyped after the end of the show that I don't go to bed for another two hours. And I'm like, look, you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you don't have time to be going to bed at 10, 30, 11 o'clock because you already know you're a restless sleeper as is. As an autism mom, you need to be sleeping. But after every single show, I'm always hyped. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that person said yes. Everything she said, I was like, like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or everything that he said, I'm like, yep, that's right. You better preach. You better talk mm-hmm. about it. And then mm-hmm. also, I'm like full adrenaline. That's like, April, you really need to shut your body down. You've got to get up at 5 o'clock. These people not getting up with you. <laughs> so, yeah, so I love it. I love it. I love every episode. I love every person that we've been blessed to have on the show. Because I, too, learn a lot, you know. So, yeah, so I'm always re-energized and revived after every single show that we have. Oh, you're also forgetting that you got a trainer that makes you get up. I had to let her go. Girl, look, I love my trainer, but I could not find the right time because she was interfering with my bedtime. And then she was interfering with my um, my early morning time. So, yeah, so I, I told her, I said, baby, I said, I'm going to catch you after May when I'm out of school and I can exercise at any point in time. <laughs> I love you, but I can't be running. Exactly, exactly. Because I'm just like, this ain't working. It's not working. It's working for me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I got we run a strict routine. You gotta be up at this time. I I I, I, I if you could see my face, it, mm, my eyes were big, uh, my mouth was down to the floor. Oh, yes. and I'm just 
My eyebrows were arched. Like, how? I, I don't I'm even tell- like getting up, period. How did she do this? I know. And, and like I said, it was good for the moment. But then, once again, if you have one of those meltdown days, you're tired. And so I found myself, you know, trying to recoup from the night before, and I wasn't recouping fast enough. And I, like I tell people, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm not in my 20s or my 30s. You know, I'm in my 40s yeah. now. So I need no, every part of my naps, every part of my naps, that because I don't sleep. I take naps in between sleep um, while sleeping. So, yeah, so I told her, I said, honey, I said, if you have enough room, I said, my last day of work is this time. I will work out with you from this time to that time where we can work out at any point in time because once I'm finished working out, I can go back to bed, you know. So, yeah, we had to put that on hiatus. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) How's that been? You sleeping better? No, I don't. Even with that, I still don't sleep better because, you know, like I said, I, I you know, I have a five-year-old. She sleeps with me, and so she has severe eczema, so she's always scratching in the middle of the night. So I'm always looking up to check on her, and then, you know, sometimes with my my one on the spectrum, you know, sometimes he'll have, like, those night terrors that sometimes are associated that some people with autism have. So I may hear the wall hitting back and forth, you know, because he's slipping so hard. So it's like, okay, I'm up now. <laughs> So, no, I still don't sleep. I think I would literally have to be in a house where I'm on one side of the house and they're on the opposite side of the house until I finally hmm. sleep. Maybe and that should be a project. I, yeah, and I still don't think I'll sleep. I think mommy, I'll be walking around room. the house. Yep. And I still, like I said, I still don't think I would sleep. I think I would be walking around because I'm like, I don't hear anything anymore because I'm so trained to hear it. But if I don't hear it, then I'm going to think something is wrong. So I don't know if I'll ever actually sleep again, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, dear. <laughs> but he sleeps no. well. And I know a lot of people on the spectrum, y'all sleep real good. Real good. Who are you, who are you telling? Yeah, I'm <laughs> Look, I'll be sleeping like a baby some nights. Like, once my head hits that pillow, it's just like, dee 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 Exactly. dee 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 he was so in tune with my schedule and my pattern, um, especially when I was commuting, um, you know, commuting um, for my job. He would be up the same time I would be up, which would be anywhere between 3 and 3.30. Now that mm-hmm. he knows that I am officially um, working in his area because this is the second year, child, our boy stayed asleep. And he'd be like, Mama, I'm up. I'm like, dude, the light isn't on. I'm flicking on the light, and now you talk about Mama. I'm up. Yes, you're up because I've turned the light on, you know. But his sleep pattern has has improved so much better. So, but once again, that goes back to you know having stability, knowing that Mom is here, um, feeling comfortable with Mom being here. You know, even though last year, like I said, things happened, his entire routine changed as far as my work schedule. But now that we're in year two, two of it, he has had he has better stability when it comes to that. So. Mm. I see. Now, I know you get tired. Do you ever have one of those moments where you just you fall asleep randomly? Do you mean do I fall asleep on them? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I fall asleep on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. seven seven thirty. Mm-hmm. Be like, look, I'm I'm going to sleep. Bye, y'all. They, like I said, I have three kids, and they will be out there doing what they do. I'll be knocked out because I know about ten, eleven o'clock, I'm going to be tossing and turning. Because by that time, you know they're sleeping. You know I'm listening. Okay, is he going to hit the wall? Is he going to hit the wall? Okay, he didn't hit the wall. Whoo, he didn't hit the wall this night. But you never know if that's going to be a wall night or not. So I'm always on high alert. Like, yeah. okay, hopefully he don't hit it too hard because I don't want him to have a knot on the top of his head when he wakes up. <laughs> like, like, oh no! It's like I slept too exactly. long. Exactly. Exactly. I slept too long. <laughs> exactly. Oh, 
goodness gracious. Now, when you have time for yourself, what do you like to do? And we got one more question. Oh, my gosh. Time for myself. What does that look like? Ah, that's grocery shopping. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is my time to myself going to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, um, you know, there may be some times when I may sneak and get me something to eat, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in between grocery shopping so that they don't get anything. But honestly, you know, <laughs> I don't do I, – honestly, I, I don't do a lot of things um, for me time only because um, – you know, although he's older, it's still very challenging to find a child care provider who would want to watch a child with autism, you know, and he is very self-sufficient. He can do what he needs to do, but people, because people are still uncomfortable with the word autism, you really don't have mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, child care providers who are jumping up and down for that. And so although he's 13 and he could stay a couple of hours by himself, he can't stay for a long period of time. You know, because um, first of all, he'd be blowing up my phone, telling my mom, "Where you at?" I mean, I'm like, "Dude, I'm at the grocery store. You've already called me six times and left three messages. I told you last night I was going grocery shopping." You know, so just that that concern and that need can be uh, over exhausting. So I wouldn't even be able to join my, enjoy myself because I would be listening for his phone call and waiting for him to call six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. <laughs> like, mom, what time are you coming home? I'm like, I just left. 20 minutes ago. I told you I'll be gone for an hour, you know, kind of a thing. So, um, so no, honestly, I don't. But um, there have been, like I said, basically for me, my time is just grocery shopping. That's when I can think, um, you know, process for the week, you know, and that's it. But, no, I don't have a I, – I know I need to, and I always tell moms you, you must create it. Um, but trying to find – Find things to do outside of my kids is, is, is work for me. It's a work in progress. Right. Sounds like you need to be taking your own advice, Doc. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. Mhm. But but right but now. I must say I must say we have a new we have a new gym that's opening up soon, and I got a membership, and I have no excuse because I can actually walk to it. So once that officially opens up, that go. is going to, that's going to be my, and it's not even to lose weight, it's not even to exercise, that's going to be my, I've decided I'm utilizing, um, you know, fitness as a means to become one with who I am as a person. And then as the weight shut off and all that stuff, that's a part of it, but this is just all for creating grounding and stability. So that's the way. So I'm excited about, you know, the new gym that's going to be opening up soon. Got a membership. He, My um, oldest can go because he's of age. He's not going to go all the time. Um, you know, I may do like one or two times a week. But, yeah, that's going to be my safe haven because I used to be my my safe haven, you know, before I had kids. So I'm going back to my safe haven, which is working out and just letting go of the stress and things that I can't control. Great. Great. And I'm not going to forget that. If I get on the air, which, well, I'm going to get on the air with you Monday, I'm going to be like, have you checked into the gym yet? Or did you not check? They're, they're, they're not open yet. They're not open yet. Now, when they oh, open, okay. you will see it on okay. our Facebook page. The gym is officially opening. Your girl is back. All right. When they do, I'm going to be coming yes. on. I'm going to be coming on. And for those of you that want to look, want to listen to the show, we're on Monday at 8.30 p.m. You can call in. When that does open, I'm going to be on the air like, hey, Doc, how was the gym? <laughs> I'll be like, see, what had happened was, and then. I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly. Excuse mode. But now I'm coming. Yeah, it's like the sign. Like you, you telling all these people to do this to do that, but you're not even going. You're not even doing exactly. what you telling them. Well, you exactly. Um, and see, and like I said before, I don't have an excuse. I can physically walk to it, so it's not yes. even. It's not even a full mile from my house, so I can physically walk there. So yeah, so that and that's one of the reasons why I got the membership. So I couldn't use the excuse, oh man, I got to get into my car and I got to drive to get there. No, I have no excuse not to be there. So I'm excited mm-hmm. about that. Good. 
right in your area. Just walk your little yeah. legs over there. Like, hi, I'm April. I'm here to sign up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, our time is coming to a close. Before we wrap up, y'all, Kodak Black is on some foolishness again. He he's been coming at. Lauren London, and now he's going after T.I.'s wife, but he's not looking to get with her. He's talking crap about her being ugly. First off, a woman, you talk crap about black women all the time. You don't like dark-skinned women, but yet you have the nerve to be going at a woman that just lost her husband and being disrespectful to another man's wife. See, you're not right for that, Kodak. You're not. You're not. And then you saying, oh, I support Nipsey. You only saying that because you want to get on the woman's good side. There ain't no freaking good side to you. You just uh. thinking. So please, sit your little. If you want to talk about ugly, you ain't take a look in the dang mirror. He looks like a burnt cockroach. Yes, he does. He looks like a burnt cockroach, I swear. And I've been dragging this fool for about two weeks now. Basically, mm-hmm. this this situation got me heated. Nipsey Hussle, he did a lot of things for the community, and he seemed like a true guy, real stand-up man, and doing just living his life, being a rapper. I don't know that much about him, but he has my respect in death and in life. The more I learn about him, the man deserves respect for what he has done and his wife. And as for fake gangster rappers like Kodak, which his music ain't all that anyway, to say, I got respect, I'm going to be a jerk and go after a dead man's wife needs to go. Because real hip-hop artists don't disrespect each other like that. They don't. And the good thing about him doing all this, all of his music was dropped from um, some, uh, I forgot the name of that radio station, but his music was dropped from their playlist. So, yeah, he's in hot water right now. Nice job, fool. You screwed your own self. <laughs> but, yeah. So, y'all want to check that out about me dragging, dragging Kodak? You can go to my Instagram page. But back to the matter at hand. Thank you so much, Doctor, for coming on and talking to us. I salute you. You're part of the community, and you a bomb-ass woman. I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you have me tonight. Mm-hmm. And it was a great conversation. We just cutting up, and we doing it for our people. We doing it for our people in the community. Light it up blue. Light it up blue. And, and well, we're going to have a new episode next week. And hope y'all enjoyed this week's episode of the Chronicles of Autism. And well, for tonight, I'm about to go chill. Peace out, y'all. Thank you. Everybody have a great evening. Bye-bye.